Lord woke me up this morning at about 4.10 and uh, started out on my walk. Uh, we went to uh, today, I think it was uh, up behind Stanton Road and near the Presbyterian home. And the word that, that was on my mind this morning was greatness. God's greatness. And when I get out of the borough, it's dark enough in the southern end, I can look up and see the stars. Oh man, God is great. Amen. We sing a song like this this morning, and it just continues to highlight uh, the greatness of our God and who He is. Such wonderful truths. Well, our monthly memory verse for this, this month is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. We can say it together. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, 1 Corinthians 14:12. There was a blessing that, that we had on Friday, a little bit of a, maybe even an unexpected blessing. Uh, the kids were home from school because we had parent-teacher conferences. And you know, uh, something really different about having parent-teacher conferences when you have seven children. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we started our parent-teacher conferences in the morning and we didn't get done till lunchtime. It was, it was really incredible. Uh, we, we not only have to meet with teachers now, but we also have to meet with uh, specialists, reading specialists, language specialists, all kinds of other folks who uh, are walk, working with our kiddos on various levels. And uh, it was just a, a really good time to meet with those who are involved uh, in our children's lives. And then later on, on Friday, our youth, our, our children at home that are like teenaged, aged, uh, they went uh, to an all-nighter, and youth leaders, just hang on, because later on I'm going to give you a shout-out today, because I don't know how you do it. Uh, in, a, in a text to Pastor Reed, I said, aren't you so glad that you're past those days? Because some of you know Pastor Bob, he was a youth pastor at one time too, and I just, I remember those all-nighters, and oh man, my body could only handle about one or two of those a year. The youth want to do them like every other month, and I don't know. I, I don't get it, but man, uh, youth leaders, hang on, because I'm going to give you a shout out later on in the message today for being so brave. Isn't it amazing? Everyone has a part to play in the life of our family. Now, I thought about that. We woke up on Saturday morning and something wasn't right in our home. It was really unusual. Something wasn't right. It didn't feel right. Sheila and I said, this is, this is not the way it, it normally feels. We were both tired. We weren't the ones at the all-nighter that were up <clears throat> all night. And it just so happens that we came to realize that we overlook or take for granted a lot of times the way that each of our family members uniquely contribute to the culture and the environment that we have in our homes. And when we woke up on Saturday morning, Brighton wasn't there and Schneider wasn't there and Bailey wasn't there. And throughout the course of that morning, uh, the early morning part, they weren't there. And it made a major difference in our home. And we realized how much of an important role every single member uh, of our family plays. We realized, uh, I realized as I was driving home, a third of our family wasn't there when we woke up in the morning, and it certainly had an impact. We've been taking time to explore Paul's letter over the last number of months to the First Corinthians, or to the church in Corinth. We've been in First Corinthians, and last week Paul started to unpack how there's a similar reality at work 
within the family of God. Each person is given gifts by God to use for the common good, and everyone, along with the gifts that they've been given, are valuable and they're needed for the proper functioning of his body. And so in the first part of this section of his letter, Paul has left us with a a broad understanding of the spiritual gifts. And there's five things, um, maybe they're not up there, they may not have made it this morning. There's five things that he left us with last week, or kind of tidbits that he left us with, that I want to just review very quickly. One is, spiritual gifts are given to those who claim that Jesus is their Lord. He talked about that last week. Spiritual gifts are given to those who claim that Jesus is their Lord. Number two, spiritual gifts are given to everyone in Christ through the Spirit by God. Spiritual gifts are given to everyone in Christ through the Spirit by God. Number three from last week, spiritual gifts are evidence of God's grace alive and active in his people. They are given for the common good. Number four, spiritual gifts are diverse. There are many, and we explored the many different spiritual gifts that Paul talked about at the beginning of chapter 12 last week. And then finally, spiritual gifts are empowered and apportioned apportioned by the Spirit as He wills. So those are some takeaways from the first part of chapter 12 last week, verses 7 and 11 in the first part of this chapter really form a concise summary. So if you have your Bibles, you want to take them, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there's this concise summary in verses 7 and 11 that invite us towards further exploration of how these gifts work themselves out within our Christian community. So look at verse 7 again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. And then later in verse 11, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so... As a follow-up from last week, and I always, I always try to say this and remind us of this, I really believe that this time together on Sunday morning is a corporate activity. You hear that? I pray that. I believe we do this together as we're journeying through the Word of God. God's Word is alive, and it's active, and it's at work in our faith community here at CNBC. And truly, I hope that on Sunday mornings, our study time lends itself towards more of a continuing open dialogue rather than a closed lecture. And I want to thank uh, some of you this week for being brave enough to ask some really good questions. And many of you were really excited about this chapter. You shared that with me last week, some of you before. And as you were coming in, you couldn't wait to get here and talk about the spiritual gifts. And so I, after the message last week, got a number of really good and relevant questions that I thought would be good for us to explore together this morning. And I want to answer these four questions before we dive into our text today because I thought they were good and they came up a few times throughout the week. Question one, is it necessary to know your gift? Might someone be using their gift without knowing it? Great question. Can a person have several spiritual gifts? Does everyone have at least one spiritual gift? 
And then I got this. What about CNBC's statement regarding the spiritual gifts in the statement of faith? Are you in alignment with it? And we're going to take a few moments to address all four of these. And please know as we do this, this is not a Pastor Chris has all the answers time. Uh, these answers are simply reflection of how I see these things today. We, friends, we are all, every one of us, is a person in process. God's not finished with us yet. So while he has us here, we should all be in this continual state of learning and studying and growing in our knowledge and our wisdom of God's word. So question one, is it necessary to know your gift and might someone be using their gift without knowing it? It doesn't appear that Paul suggests that it's necessary to know what our gifts might be. I don't, didn't see that anywhere in the text last week or this week. However, one interesting observation is that if we consider ourselves as in Christ, then we have already been promised to receive the gift of eternal life. And that gift is considered a grace gift, just like the gifts that Paul's talking about here in chapter 12. But in a way, it's different from the spiritual gifts since every true believer has that gift of salvation before them in common. Regarding the spiritual gifts, I would say that someone, especially new to the faith, may be practicing their gift without realizing it. Uh, I certainly, certainly believe that was probably true of me as a young believer. And so one incredibly important part of our discipleship or spiritual growth journey Maybe having an older or more mature saint recognize the gift that we're using and encourage us to continue to use it to build up the church. Who was the first person in your life to reveal to you the gift that you've used here to build up the body of Christ? Question two, can a person have several spiritual gifts? Paul is using a body illustration here in chapter 12. As we break in, we're going to see this more clearly today. And so uh, in this regard, a hand couldn't have possibly been a foot. These are two different body parts. However, I'm not sure that Paul was using the body illustration to communicate that a person couldn't have more than one gift. I think he was using it as a way to communicate how all the gifts belong and are necessary to the body. And so in that regards, then, I, I do not believe that a person, uh, or I do believe that a person, sorry, uh, may have more than one spiritual gift. And some of us know folks uh, in our lives, and God has directed folks in our lives who are very gifted and maybe have exercised multiple gifts, whether it be teaching and administration or serving and administration or whatever it might be, encouragement and teaching. There are some gifts that seem to dovetail together very well. Paul says at the end of chapter 12, and then again at the beginning of chapter 14, he says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and it's plural, which may suggest that a person in the body of Christ could be gifted with more than one. Question three, does everyone have at least one spiritual gift? It would appear that Paul would argue for this, since he uses the word all and every so much in chapter 12. We're going to see this today when we dive in. He keeps using these words all, every, over and over again. And his language again in chapter 14 seems to include everyone who considers themselves as part of the body of Christ. And then finally, what about CNBC's statement of faith 
uh, regarding the spiritual gifts, uh, where are you in alignment with it? And I think first, let's look at what that statement says. It's a beautiful statement. And, and, and before we read it, yes, I am absolutely affirm it and am in line with it. Uh, but let's read it and then we'll talk a little bit about it. We believe God is sovereign in the bestowment of all his gifts and that the gifts of evangelists, pastors, and teachers are sufficient for the perfecting of the saints today. As the New Testament scriptures were completed and their authority established, sign gifts cease to carry scriptural authority and are not normative for today and are subject to all the guidelines established in scripture. So yes, I wholeheartedly affirm uh, the statement of faith for our community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And so saying that, I say that uh, also, I would like to say that our statement of faith is not meant to govern the beliefs or practices of other faith communities. It's important that we recognize that other faith communities who also claim Jesus as Lord and love him and serve him wholeheartedly practice gifts in their communities that we don't practice here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And those faith communities often uh, and also will interpret passages related to the spiritual gifts differently than we do here. I know many of you, many of you have shared with me about family or friends that attend churches where some of those, what we would call the more miraculous or sign gifts, are practiced. And we do not practice them here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. Uh, and again, as we said last week, and this is what governs really this entire portion of Paul's letter, Paul's greater concern isn't which gifts are being practiced. Rather, his greater concern for the church throughout this letter has been, are we doing it with the right spirit for the common good and the glory of God? And in, in today's world, church, there is so much division and so much polarization abounding over so many different things. The body of Christ, I believe, friends, we have this incredible opportunity before us to set a new standard on how to love, live, lead, worship, thrive, and function together, even in disagreement. Some of you know this statement. It's a really good one, and I think it's one that we should hold close to our heart in this season. In the essentials which are those things pertaining to Christ and him crucified, died and resurrected. We need unity. This is where statements like the Apostles Creed are very helpful to the church. Those are the essentials on the non-essentials. We need liberty, diversity, grace. And in all things, we need what? Charity and Jesus. Yes, <laughs> both Jesus and charity. It's a concept that love is a concept that Paul is going to take a deep dive into in chapter 13. And it's one of the biggest reasons why we started our study in chapter 13. This whole book doesn't make sense. This whole letter doesn't make sense if we're missing love. It doesn't work. Love is the greatest gift that we've been given for the building up of the church for the glory of God. And, and friends, as I stand here before you today, I truly believe it will take a lifetime for us to learn it and live it as God has intended for us to. This isn't something where we just come to in our spiritual walk and say, okay, I, I love good enough now. I can move on to something else. That's not how it works. We need to be continually growing in love. One of the 
uh, most edifying and constructive things that I think I've done this year with our elders. And by the way, can I just honor those men for a second? They are incredible and they do an incredible job guiding the mission and vision of this congregation. And I love every one of them. Uh, but one of the most edifying things I think that we have done is we've worked through our entire statement of faith here at Calvary Monument Bible Church this past year. We rehearsed it. We examined it. We studied it. We discussed it. And there is such incredible unity and harmony in all the thinking that we have related to it. It's really been a beautiful and harmonious uh, practice for us this year as elders and pastors. And we have found our statement of faith to be helpful in not only forming our, our orthodoxy here, what we believe, but also helping to shape our orthopraxy and how we practice or apply what we believe. And so with all of that in view, we're going to preach a sermon this morning and deal with the text. We got eight verses today. How is God bringing all of this together? As God is drawing diverse individuals together into his church, who is to be given priority of preference in sharing their gifts? And which of the gifts should be considered as the greatest or the most important? Paul knew it was going to be our propensity to try to control something which was governed and arranged by God. He also recognized that when this sort of control took root in the church, that it was often followed by a manipulation or a misrepresentation of what was intended by God. And so in this portion of his letter that we're studying today, Paul is turning his attention towards establishing unity among those who have been given gifts. All of us, though we are many, are now brought together as one in Christ. And Paul is going to begin in the eight verses we're looking at today to cultivate a sense of belonging that will be healthy for those who considered their gifts as lesser or of lower importance. Paul's using an illustration to demonstrate how God brings all things together and show how the Spirit equips all of us with gifts so that we can contribute to the building up of the church for the glory of God. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 20 today. And before we break in, let's pray. Good morning, Father. Thank you uh, for this time again. We are incredibly indebted that you have left us with such a wonderful gift as your word. It is powerful, beautiful, useful for all things pertaining to godliness in our lives. Uh, Father, we can't understand all of the mysteries of how you work through it, but yet somehow your spirit is working, moving, even now through the teaching and preaching of its words to change us, to open our hearts and change our minds and move us and motivate us to grow and to love and to nurture those that you bring into our lives. And so we're just incredibly thankful this morning. Uh, we're thankful for each member that is part of our body here at Calvary Monument and uh, our desire is that through these next two weeks in this text that you'll just continue to help us to recognize and see uh, how everyone belongs and is important and how everyone is needed for our body to function as you've intended. Uh, thank you and we give you the glory. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 12, 12 to 20. This is Paul to the church. For just as the body is one and has many members, 
And all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Nearly 50 times throughout Paul's letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he uses body terminology. You can find it all over this letter. Sometimes he's using it literally referring to Christ's body, and sometimes he's using it in a figurative way, uh, as in the body of Christ, the church. In chapter 12, this portion of his letter, Paul's using the body figuratively. He's describing the nature and the importance of the gifts that God has given to his church. From many nations, many tribes, and many peoples, God is drawing unto himself one body which finds its authority, its life, and its freedom in Christ. Jesus is who unites us and who holds us together as a church. And in Christ, we have so much in common. And Paul's made every effort to show us that in this letter. Unity has been and will continue to be a major theme of chapter 12. And, and, and really, in this chapter, if you like to underline or highlight words related to unity, you can find somewhere around 20 occurrences where you'll find the word same or the word one. He repeats it over and over and over again. The gifts that have been given were given to knit the body of Christ together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So as a church, Jesus is our Lord in love, we're called to use our gifts to build one another up for God's glory in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And over and over and over again, Paul has come back to the use of the Trinity in this chapter. Friends, we are at our best as a faith community when we are striving for the glory of God in building one another up in love for the common good. As followers of Jesus, what has Paul already shown us? We partake in the same body. We drink of the same spirit. We're called to the same mission. We're given the same vision. And we're baptized into the one same body. Now in verse 13 here, Paul's not talking about water baptisms. We're going to do some of those later today. And I'm very thankful for warm water uh, in the baptismal 
on a day like today. But he's not talking about water baptism here. Paul's talking about the baptism that we receive at the moment of salvation. That baptism whereby we're taken out of the world by Jesus and plunged by him into the spirit and his church. Out of darkness into light. Out of the world into his body, the church. We're equipped with the Spirit and the power of God is now at work within us and He doesn't leave us in that body. We are part of that body, but we're not to just stay there all the time. He physically tells us to go back out into the world and to serve Him as salt and light. Look in verse 13 at how Paul levels the playing field here. This isn't an experience or a baptism or a moment that we earn uh, by our heritage or by our status or by our efforts. Whether one is Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that's not the line that determines whether or not you're going to receive this baptism. This is all accomplished by God. He does the work. In this baptism, we're made to drink of the same spirit, for we are all indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And this was a very important concept that Paul repeats frequently in his letters. There was a bit of favoritism at play among the people. The Jews were a people that were very proud. They were God's chosen people. They had been given the law. And the Jews that were coming to Christ and now coming to salvation and going back to their families and saying, hey, you, you, don't, you don't need this thing anymore. How do you think that made them feel? But then, even within the church, for those that were saved and didn't really need the law anymore, they were still really kind of excited that they had the law. And so when a Gentile believer who had no law came to faith in Christ and was living very differently, what do you think the Jewish believers who had the law in their background were doing? They were the star-bellied sneeches, right? Anybody remember that Dr. Seuss video, right? We have the law, what do, you, what do you do? You can't live like that. You have to live like this, right? And, and so back and forth, back and forth, it went. And there was some boasting going on. There's no favoritism with God. Romans chapter 2 is very clear with that. Boasting about um, what we have in our past or trying to point to something that we've done or that we've followed or that somehow we think we've accomplished to merit our standing before God is not helpful in any way to the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone belongs who's a believer. Everyone has an important part to play. Everyone is needed. Yet, look around, look around. I know there's a lot of maroon vests in here today and blue, but none of us are the same. We're all different. I think about that. Think about how uniquely designed each and every one of us are in this room. Just in this room in Paradise, PA, and now on the global scale of the kingdom of God and the church of God in the world. What uniqueness and diversity must be built into that. It's beautiful. There is a unity and there is a diversity. There are hands, there are feet, there are elbows. Hey, there's even belly buttons. 
All are important. All are needed. All are part of the body of Christ. And Paul's hope for this community of faith is that believers within it would see and would value each one's important contribution. He is interested here in cultivating a sense of belonging amongst the people. This is very important to Paul in this portion of his letter. Let's look again at verses 14 and 15. Take a look down at the text. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not what? Belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. What if all of us here today were belly buttons? Armpits. What if we were all fingers? Thank goodness we aren't all fingers. Um, Though perhaps in this season of life you felt at the receiving end or at the receiving aim of many fingers. I'm thankful that we're not all fingers. Fingers can't see, right? Fingers can't hear. They can't taste. Last time I checked, my finger couldn't smell anything. Nope. Doesn't work. Fingers, they can't do any of that stuff. Fingers, they can only touch. And think about, think about how important touch must be to God. God gave us two ears. He gave us two eyes. He gave us one nose, one mouth, and how many fingers? Ten. Touch must be a pretty incredibly important piece of how we relate to one another. Right? And Paul's illustration in verses 14 to 20, uh, where we're at this week, this, this would be as if someone who had what was considered a lower gift was speaking towards someone who had what would have been considered a higher gift. He uses the foot in verse 15, if you look down there again. And what was the reality about feet in ancient Near Eastern cultures? People who walked around with sandals on in the dirt. What was the reality about their feet? They were stinky dirty. Yeah. I mean, foot washing back then had a whole new meaning. Right? Today we do foot washing. A person takes a shoe and a sock off and their foot's relatively clean. Back then it was not like that at all. This was, from this argument, this was somebody who would have considered as, as having a lower gift. Not only was it literally on the placement of the human body in a lower position than the hand, uh, but, but as it's communicating here, it's communicating two, I think, very damaging untruths. And, and my hope in our faith communities is that we don't cultivate these things. So here is a hand, here is a foot down here that's considered dirty and unclean. Speaking to a hand, which by the way, I'll hold my right hand up. What was the right hand associated with? Anybody know? Power, authority. Here's a foot looking up, speaking to a hand. And what, what conclusion are they coming to? I am less, I do not belong. Now watch how Paul does this again in verse 16. Look at verse 16. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. For most people, now there are a few, 
that are different. For most of us, our ears are lower than our eyes. Did you ever realize that? It's true. Our ears on our faces, on our heads, are lower than our eyes. And Paul's taking another part of the body that's literally lower than another to make this statement again. The ear is saying, I'm less than an eye. I do not belong. And leaning to the ancient Near Eastern culture again, the eye was to be cherished. It was to be considered a far greater priority than hearing. Uh, We see this in the Old Testament. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Eye. It's a beautiful, precious thing. And as the Lord forms our community here and continues to knit us together to one another, we can recognize and elevate and make necessary all of the gifts that are present within our faith community. Church, we can cultivate a sense of belonging when we celebrate rather than overlook or dismiss another person's gifts. Our culture places a lesser emphasis on some gifts. It's just a reality in the culture we live in today. And every culture is a little bit different in this. But I would say in our culture, there's probably lesser emphasis given to some of the gifts of administration, maybe some of the gifts of hospitality or service, maybe care, encouragement. And we tend to find ourselves in America much more enraptured by gifts of knowledge and wisdom, writing and speaking, preaching and teaching, generosity and leading. But friends, we need to look for ways that people are contributing to the life of our body and thank them for using their gifts, whatever they might be, and using their abilities, whatever they might be, letting them know that they have been an encouragement to us, making sure that they understand that they belong and play an important role in our body life here at Calvary Monument. I mean, there's so much that happens on a Sunday morning. It's nice. A few weeks ago, HUD was here and he was uh, speaking. And so whenever I'm able to come and we have a guest speaker, one of the things I like to do is come to church as just me, just Chris. And, uh, and so I came in with my family and I came through and I sat in the back and, and I got to observe and see, you know, one of the other things I recognize are all the pieces that are at work to make this happen on Sunday morning for all of us. We have a media team in the back and technicians that help us with sound and video and audio. We have an usher team who comes very early. We have some fun conversations, like a pregame huddle in the morning. They're always here, some of them around 7 o'clock, some of them earlier coming and opening the building and turning on lights and bringing cookies. Uh, They're providing ministry to the church. And we have those that are doing ministry in the cafe after our services. We have an administrative and a design staff here at the church that that help us make sure everything works together because I'm not a glue person and we need glue people. We need people to make sure that I don't end up in Timbuktu when I'm supposed to be in Lancaster County to help me with those things. And we have great administrators and we have great design team uh, and a design staff here. Our children's ministry volunteers. My goodness, it's amazing on Wednesday night. If you ever want to pop in here and see something fun, it was crazy hair night Wednesday night. I came in here. I saw all different colors of hair. But those folks are coming every Wednesday evening and they're investing in our kids. Youth volunteers, this is your shout out for staying up all night the other night. 
I give you props and credit. Uh, That's absolutely amazing. But let me tell you, they're not just staying up all night. They're coming midweek and they're investing in the lives of our students. And many of them are putting in time outside of that, putting lesson plans together and events and all kinds of stuff. We have midweek ministry volunteers. We have small group leaders. We have greeters. We have people that come. Uh, Take your weekly. Do everybody have your weekly? Take Take your weekly. We have folks who graciously volunteer to come and to put all of those papers inside your weekly. A team of people that come to do that. We have folks that come after service and they clean the pews, get the trash and the cups. It's absolutely amazing. We have ministry directors and coordinators. We have buildings and grounds teams and finance teams and ministry teams and missions teams and custodial teams. Every one of these people is a vital, important, contributing, belonging, necessary piece to what happens in the life of this congregation. Friends, it takes all of us, all of us at work. God is at work. It's, and it's an amazing thing. We're, we're here, we're doing it, but who's really doing it? It's God. He's at work in and through every one of us as we use our gifts and abilities to contribute to the common good. God is using you to bless others and help build them up. Now, every once in a while, I get together with folks that aren't able to come on Sunday morning anymore. They they're homebound or they're in retirement communities and they're not able to travel. And 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 every once in a while, I hear a conversation Oh, what, what, what could I possibly do? How could I contribute? Oh, man, they're praying. They are praying. They have their intercessor out. They have their prayer calendar out. They have all their mission newsletters out. I see them. They're praying. Not only are they praying, many of them are writing notes of encouragement, sending. Some of them are sending birthday cards. It's absolutely amazing how God works through the life of his body. No one is less than Everyone belongs. Everyone contributes a vital piece. And now look at how Paul draws all this together in verse 17. Take a look. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul understood what the writer of Proverbs had written Many, many years before Paul's ministry, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Both are necessary. Both belong. All friends are important. We've been arranged with a purpose. Rather than overlook and underestimate the value of anyone's giftedness or contribution to the body of Christ, Paul encourages us and is encouraging us to recognize God's divine arrangement of our bodies. Look at verse 18. This is, I love this verse. It's beautiful. And by the way, this verse and a verse we're going to see next week so clearly communicate uh, and align with our statement of faith. It's beautiful. It's talking about God's sovereign design in the gifting of his church. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. There is something to be said about recognizing the sovereignty of God in the arrangement of our gifts. And recognizing this, 
really, friends, should solidify our position or our place within the body. God, in his divine providence, has positioned us exactly where he desires for us to be so that he can be at work through us in the gifts that he gives us to build up the communities of which we are a part. And church, we can sometimes neglect uh, to think about this reality. I really think that, that today this is an area that can often be very quickly neglected and forgotten, especially in a day where there's so much division in the church and there's so much brokenness. And, you know, I want to tell you, um, the brokenness that we see in our culture, in our community today, um, it hasn't started in the church. Uh, and, and it hasn't only affected the church. As we sit here today, we realize there are families that are struggling to relate to one another because of the brokenness that's in our world today, especially related to some of the difficulties that have come behind COVID. There are couples there are families, children and parents that are struggling to relate to one another in this season. Now, if that's true in families, which is our most intimate unit that we relate to on this earth, how much more so are we going to see it in the church that comes in here on Sunday? But we have to remember, friends, and come back to this, that God has arranged us. I was thinking about that this morning on the walk. I look up at the sky and I saw all the stars and I thought God's arranged every one of those constellations and those stars and put him exactly where he wanted them to be. It's truly incredible. Think about this. The God of the universe, the one who shaped and formed and created all things. He shapes and forms and creates our local faith communities. His hands involved in your giftedness being here right now for such a time as this. He has you here for a purpose. It's beautiful. He calls people in. Sometimes he moves people out, but he arranges it all according to his divine purposes and plans. And guess what, church? He does it for our good and for his glory. In this particular illustration, I like to think of God, uh, that word arrangement. One of the first things that came to mind was a master florist. Now, here we have this beautiful arrangement of flowers up here today. And it looks good and it, it, it all unites and it goes together. But what were to happen if I were just to come in here and, and pluck all the yellow flowers out? Something would look different, right? I'm not going to do it. It's too pretty. And some of you will be like, oh, do it. But, it. but if I came over here and if I plucked all of these yellow flowers out, this arrangement wouldn't be the same. It would not be as the as the florist intended for it to be. If I plucked all these, I don't even know what these are, but they're pretty. Um, Pat, you might know. Uh, I saw Pat. She might know what these are. I don't know, but they're really beautiful. Um, I could pluck those out. And again, the arrangement would be very, very different. And, and when we think about our body of Christ, this is it. This is it. And God is a master florist. And yes, we're all different. We all have unique gifts and things that we contribute to it. But every single one of us is valuable. Every one of us is important. There's beauty in this. There's diversity. But there's also unity. 
And as we see this, and as we think about God in this way, we begin to see God as intimately caring for and concerned about each one of us because he has placed each one of us in community with the exact people that we need to help us grow and build one another up in love. I'm so thankful that he did this for me uh, in my life as a young believer. As a young believer, my family went through a, tra- uh, a transition uh, where we moved into the southern end of the community, deeper into the southern end of the community. And at that time, uh, we had to look for another church because it, it was a much longer drive to go to where we had been attending. And so we looked uh, and we looked and it took a while. And eventually we landed at a little church in uh, Peckway. It was called Mount Nebo United Methodist Church. Some of you know it. Um, some of you are familiar with it. And there were people in that faith community who were gifted, who God had placed there for me. I think about that. I think about the way those people invested in my life. And I want to give some of them honor today. I want to thank Bill Horse for faithfully teaching Sunday school, even when I'd sit there and make faces at him all, all class long. I don't know how he put up with me for all the years that he did. He was an amazingly patient man. I want to thank Sharon Sellers. Sharon Sellers, you want to know what she did? Once a month, she got up, she got up front. And she would take all, back then, your, your missionaries would send you letters, like real correspondence. You wrote back and forth with them. Sometimes you even called them on Sunday morning. And she would, some of you remember that, call missionaries on Sunday morning? She would get up front, and our stage was kind of like this, and she would stand here, and she would read And I remember she'd read those letters from the missionaries and I would just sit there and be like, man, my jaw would be dropped. The kind of stuff that they were seeing and doing. It was beautiful. Mike Miller. Mike Miller was my youth pastor. And and I want to thank Mike Miller and for God placing Mike Miller in that church. He eventually became a pastor of his own church over the years and pastored his own uh, church for many, many years. A significant influence in my life. Ginny Riggetts. Jenny Riggetts, in many ways, was uh, one of my first spiritual mothers. Uh, I spent so much time with Jenny in the car. Uh, my first job was at Camp Mac. Anybody know where Camp Mac is? In Lebanon. And Jenny uh, would drive me because she was the cook. And we would go back and forth. And she would just drive God's word into me. I mean, we, we would talk about nothing. I'd get in the car and I'd think, Can we, are we going to talk about something other than the Bible? <laughs> Not with Jenny. She was going to take every single minute of that ride to pour into me the scriptures. Carl Drexel. Carl Drexel kicked me out of his class more than probably any other Sunday school teacher I ever had. I got to, I remember counting the bricks in the hallway sitting outside of his class, hoping that he wasn't going to tell my dad and mom about what I did that Sunday. Becky Huber, another one. She was the daughter of a missionary. Uh, her her uh, father and mother were Jerry and Annie Rainier. Some of you know Jerry and Annie Rainier. Uh, they uh, served the Lord in Africa for many, many years. Her brother was Mick Rainier. And she would give incredible testimonies on Sunday morning. As a child, uh, that was not an accident. Isn't that amazing? Kids, you're sitting here today. Students, you're sitting here today. There's young kids. There's students. There's people from uh, four, five, six years old all the way up in in early college years. Think about this. Uh, God loves you that much. 
and cares about you and is concerned for you that much that he's placed you in a place and arranged the exact people around you that he wants so that you can grow in a greater love for him and a greater love for the people that he brings into your life. I talk to missionaries from here. It's one of the blessings I have who've grown up in this church. And you know how many names they name from here? People like uh, Carl Kasky. You talk to Carl Kasky, you know how many men that he names from this congregation who had a significant role in his spiritual development? Mark Trossel. You talk to Mark, same thing. Uh, There are so many. I could go on and on. Andy Gordley. Uh, I could go on and on for the names of folks that that share about the uh, way that you all have done this and been this for them. And maybe you didn't even know or realize, but guess what? That's... God working through you. That's the best. When we don't know or realize. Because we know then that God is doing us through it. We're all very different people. Yet we're part of the one same body of Christ. Not one single member, but many. Look at verse 19 and 20. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we've asked this question through every single message almost in this series. How might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly unbelieving world? And I might say from our text this morning, we can conclude. Recognizing the value and contributions of every member, we celebrate and elevate the giftedness of one another. Cultivating a sense of belonging, we honor God who like a master florist has arranged us exactly as he chose. As the team comes forward, let's pray this morning. Father, uh, as we work through this text this morning, I, I became incredibly thankful for the gift of one another. The gift of one another. Uh, somehow, Lord, uh, in your divine providence and according to your divine mercies, you've arranged all of us together and gifted us uniquely so that we could be investing and building into each other. None of this is an accident. It's all according to your design. And it is such a mystery to us. It was a mystery to Paul, uh, for sure. But Lord, I'm so thankful uh, that every single person belongs and is part. I'm thankful for every team member uh, that uses their gifts here uh, and, and serves the body of Christ. I think of our music ministry and our prayer ministries and all of the other ministries that we have and, and how powerfully uh, they allow themselves to be used of you. And we give you thanks for them and we just ask that you would continue to cultivate a sense of belonging within our bodies that we might recognize the goodness of you and the glory of you in one another as we grow in love together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.